Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now, imagine when you opened up that book, it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and so you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is The Notable Podcast. These are discussions where pastors not only take seriously the biblical text, but they share what they've been underlining and highlighting, all of their notes that help them share the world's most important book and how it's transformed their hearts and how it can transform the hearts of the people you know. This is Season 5, Coming Forth as Gold, a reading of the Book of Job. You're about to hear a conversation between John and Tim Borman, twin brothers, both Christian pastors. Tim is a pastor in Queens, New York, and John is a pastor in Aiken, South Carolina. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us or hear more, visit NotablePodcast.com. That's N-O-T-A-B-L-E podcast.com. Here's John and Tim. Well, Timothy, we're back. We're back. I know it kind of feels like maybe a little bit different to our listeners because Elihu came out, uh, I guess, a week or two ago now. But here we are, and for us, we're back, and we're recording for the first time in uh, quite some time. (laughs) And uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's good to be back. And, you know, I, I just, I come to today just with a prayer on my heart. Uh, Timothy, just a deep prayer, uh, because we have come to the Holy of Holies in the book of Job, the Holy of Holies, and we're standing here on the precipice of an encounter with the Lord, with Yahweh himself, with with God Almighty, and uh, here we are standing on the precipice of of Job 31, and I'm just stopping for a second, and I'm, I'm trying to take that in. Job 38, yeah. I mean, it's this is this is what we've been waiting for. This is Job's been asking for it. He wanted to get make his case before the Lord. And this is really what any sufferer wants, you know? They want to be able to come before the Lord and 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 say, "Lord, you got to explain this to me. Tell me my story. How does this end? Why Why did it have to be this way? And um, it's just an amazing thing. Uh, there was no promise that the Lord would show up, uh, even though Job was praying for it. But here we have it. We're going to get theophany. The Lord is going to, on the heels of our John the Baptist, like we said with Elihu, the Lord's going to show up. So here we are, we're right here, and we're going to get one of the, the oracles of, of the Lord. And they, they break up, there's actually two of them, there's really two, and we're going to take uh, the first oracle today and in this episode, and then we'll take uh, the second oracle in another episode. But uh, Timothy, the, the one thing that I, I've been reflecting on is that there's a great danger, I think, uh, when it comes to uh, these oracles, these these speeches from the Lord, and that's that's in this that you can stand, I think, on the wrong side of them. I, let me explain what I mean by that. I think there's two places where you can stand in relationship 
to these speeches, you can stand above them or you can stand under them. You can stand above them or you can stand under, under them. And, and when you stand above them, this is what you're doing. You're sort of looking down at the speeches. You're analyzing the speeches. You're trying to figure out how they flow, the structure of them, um, that sort of thing. And so you stand above the speeches. But I think what if we're gonna if we're gonna take these speeches the way that God wants us ultimately to take them is we got to get under the speeches. We have to let the Lord um, turn the tables on us, so to speak, to interrogate us with the questions, to um, to get under the Lord and see exactly what He wants us to see in humility and in and in faith. Uh, but before we do that, I, I want to, just for a second, Timothy, just forgive me, listeners, forgive me, Timothy. I think what we should do is for a second, and because I, I just think this is helpful for, for us and for our listeners, is just for a second, stand above the text and before we, we stand under the text and stand under what, what, what the Lord finally wants to do. And so I do want to do just a little bit of analysis of the speech. Uh, what we're going to do... Um, with the speeches, we're going to spend most of our time actually in the back half. So the, it culminates there in the, in the back half of the speech in, in Job chapter 39. So we'll spend most of our time there. And what I want to do on the front end is sort of provide a framework for, for understanding the speech. And so I, I want to give, um, I think, you know, five, five or six points uh, that give us an understanding of the structure. And Timothy, just just break in on me here. But the first thing that we got to understand here is that uh, we we are finally, finally, finally uh, going to get a glimpse at the Lord. And you can see that in verse one. Verse one, this is what it says: Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Now, <laughs> that's a new. This is a we that title that particular title for God, uh, the Lord is, is uh, when you look at that in history, in, in the canon, in, in the Bible, what you find out is that that's God's name of revelation. That's his covenant name. This is, this is God as he's revealed to us in the scriptures as this saving, faithful, uh, covenant God. So we are going to get, we are moving in the book of Job from what we could call the hidden God. You know, what is God doing in our lives? We don't know. We How do we interpret the suffering? And we're finally moving to uh, the revelation of God. So we get this title, the Lord's, and the Lord speaks to Job out of the storm, which is, oh man, there's a lot we can do with that, Timothy. I don't know if, uh, if you want to pour into that and build on that, but the Lord does, you know, show up in a storm these clouds it's it's amazing you know the lord the lord comes to us in in so many different ways doesn't he in in theophany and and we can think of the lord the lord's theophany um in in a whisper to to a prophet and he comes so gently so 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 in, in such tranquility he chooses not to come in the earthquake or in a show of force um, in that particular situation, uh, the Lord, the Lord comes to us in Jesus Christ. You know, He He shows Himself in, in the cross, in in suffering, in salvation through through His Messiah. He doesn't come to Job that way, and I think that's something to think about. He comes really in a show of strength. You know, like 
in a storm. I, I've I've been through hurricanes before, uh, too many. Uh, you, you know, when I came to New York City so many years ago, I I never imagined that the our city would be humbled by hurricanes. But I've I've seen it, and it, it's amazing the strength that you see in a storm. And and here we are. You know, the Lord knows that what Job spiritually needs, and we and we can talk about this more, is for Job to see his his strength, his utter domination of creation. Yeah. We're going to have to really handle that, especially the speeches mount up, and it's easy to notice this, and uh, really in a just incredible show of strength with Leviathan, but that's coming yet. And that brings us to point two. So we're at point one is we move from a hidden God to a revealed God. We're going to see what God is up to. We're going to listen to the Lord uh, explain this in, in a certain sense. And that brings me to, to point two. And I just want to mention this briefly. Uh, what we can, what we, if we want to analyze the chapter in an overall way, what, what's happening here is the Lord is really preaching first article gospel. What do, what do I mean by that? This is the first article to the, of the creed. This is God as creator is what we're going to see here. And it's just that simple. And I, I don't, we just should not miss this, that this is creational uh, theology that is up there with Genesis 1 and 2, arguably. We have these tremendous, this tremendous, tremendous description of the Lord's creational power. And uh, we, just, we just should not miss that. So we could even call this a creational oracle. You know, this is a speech that's all about the creative ability of God. And uh, again, we'll look more at that later, but I just want to mention that briefly right now. And that brings me to point. No, well, you're going to pull her hold into on, that. Hold on. Oh, yeah, because I have to. I, I, uh, doesn't it make your heart sing a little bit when you sit there and watch, um, what do they call that? Blue Planet Earth. Mm-hmm. There's a, you know, there's several shows like that. And, you know, I, I used to be able to watch it with my daughters. And then we watched that one episode where, like, like these, the, uh, the lizards are trying to make it up on the rocks and the snakes are, are going after them. And, and then, you know, my little daughters are like, oh, this is terrible. But, you know, you, you, you see these things and it's, it is just, it, it really is just stunning. It makes your heart sing. Even, even people who, who don't believe in God, they see this stuff and it's just, they say, this is marvelous. This is marvelous. And, you you have to read these chapters, you know, you, and 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 I think you should. You read it, listen to them, and, and it'll make you say, you know, God is great, God is wonderful, and your heart begins to be lifted up. I mean, now we're getting under the text rather than than being analytical, but I'm already sort of there. This is you just, can't even help it. You just can't. You just yeah. encounter the truths. Absolutely, and that brings us to number three. We should notice what what the text says, but we should also notice what it doesn't say. And because that's actually a significant point when we're dealing, we're dealing with the topic of suffering now and the Lord's going to speak to it. And so it's important to notice what he says, and we're going to spend most of our time with that. But we also need to notice what he doesn't say. What he does not offer is a theodicy or an explanation of the suffering. Doesn't do it. And we could put it like this, is that the Lord offers here revelation not explanation. 
So, and, and so when we deal with our suffering, we need what, what God clearly thinks we need to know better is who he is. Not an explanation of suffering. We need to know him better. And he thinks that's what's going to get us truly through the suffering is knowing him. So it's revelation, not explanation. Or another way we could put it is that it's, it's reconciliation, not restoration. So you don't necessarily have to get out of the suffering to be healed. Um, you need to be reconciled to God. You need to know that he's working for you, that he loves you, that he's powerful for you, uh, we could say. And so the Lord is intent here on reconciliation before he is restoration. And that's another insight that we can have um, from this scripture. You know, it's interesting. You know, it, it's so human nature. I do this too when I've been through hard times in my life. You, you spend so much time cognitively asking the question, why? You know, you want, you want to bring meaning to, to, that, to that thing that, that keeps you up at night. And it, it, maybe what, what we're learning here, at least partially, is instead of trying to cognitively work it all out, like you said, we would instead wrap ourselves up in the story of God that we we can we can see Jesus and the mm. Apostle Paul did this. Mm. Um, there's there's no explanation why the Apostle Paul almost died, but the Apostle Paul instead read himself into the Jesus story. Mm. Yeah, Jesus died. Mm. He did, and. There's incredible meaning in that for us. We, we learn that. Jesus also rose again. And to, to move away from trying to understand that, because sometimes maybe we're not ready to understand what God was doing in our life. Um, but instead, to move towards under, seeing our story unfold and moving us to glory. Under God's mighty hand. You know, that, that brings, I'm going to segue to the fourth point that I wanted to make, because this is a beautiful segue here, is one, this, again, we're noticing right now, not just what the text says, but what it doesn't say. And one of the most interesting things, we get this incredible survey of, of creation, right? This just incredible survey of creation. And, we'll, and one of my next points is we'll talk about how, how really complete the survey of, of creation really is. But one notable exception to that is, Timothy, there's no people in the text. There are no people. Uh, I suppose now What happened to them? <laughs> yeah, what happened to all the people? There's no people in the text. And except for, there's, somebody could come back and they'd say, well, there's people in battle. You know, there's, with the horses later, and we'll look at that. But yeah, the people are killing each other, and which is, which is interesting. The only people that are alluded to uh, are in war, are in, are in battle, uh, in the whole oracle. And so basically what's happening is people have disappeared from creation. Now, uh, you could read that as, a, a, and I sort of alluded to this, you could read that as a condemnation of people like the, the sinful part of creation. And I understand that if, if your mind goes there. I think there's probably uh, something more in play here, though. And that's that, and not to use big words, but I think what you have here is you have Job and his friends are being completely egocentric. They are 
they're anthropocentric, they're human-centered. And what God has to do is say, wait a minute, it's not all about you. The world is not anthropocentric, it's not human-centered, it's theocentric, it's God-centered. And so by leaving humans out of the creational story at this point, um, God, and we'll talk about this, we're going to pour into this a little bit more, but God is drawing people to be, and you mentioned this, Timothy, God is drawing people, the Lord Yahweh, the Lord, is drawing people into his story. Um, where when we're in, you know, we, we, we talk about this, right? When we're in suffering, we're, we're easily navel-gazing all the time. And God is saying, instead of looking in, instead of staring at your own belly button, look up, look at my story, look at my purposes in the cosmic scheme. And um, anyway, now I'm standing under the story a little bit, but that is the analytical point there, uh, number four. And... That brings me to number five. (laughs) (laughs) Analytical point number five. And that, I want to read a verse. I want to read a couple verses here uh, and and get into the text just for a second. This is Job chapter 38, verses 7 and 8. This is what it says there. You, You alluded to this already, Timothy. While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Uh, and then the Lord asked another question. Who shut, shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? Now, I, I read these verses because I wanted our listeners to remember. We, we did a big episode on Job chapter 3. And maybe you noticed this, that uh, Job chap, this, this speech from, Yah, from the Lord, from Yahweh, is specifically buttoning up everything that Job said in, back in Job chapter 3. So the Lord... Uh, Job was cursing, and, and the Lord is doing the exact opposite. He's bringing creation into being. And Job's saying he was, he was cursing it away. And specifically, he, Job was invoking there, this is scary, um, people who curse the day. And all of a sudden, here we got the morning, and we got angels who are shouting for joy. So it's the exact opposite uh, view, actually. And I, I also wanted to just notice um, this incredible poetry. The Lord, uh, the Lord's creation here is pictured. The sea is is pictured as being this womb, and the Lord is the creator of all of it. By the way, can can I just do a sidebar, Timothy, and and just whine for a second? <laughs> I'm just gonna whine. Oh, Here's a whine. Real I don't quick. think we have a choice, do we? Yeah, you don't. I, Dear Christians, please stop calling creation Mother Nature. Please don't do that anymore. Uh, If you've ever done that uh, and you're a Christian, please don't do that. That's paganism, uh, to believe that uh, nature is your mother. Uh, God is our Father, and He is the Creator, and so we need to... (laughs) I'm wanting a little bit, but I'm doing it on purpose. We... We need to talk like this is true because it is true. The Father is our creator. Well, as long as you're whining about it, I'm going to whine about it too. Can we also <laughs> dump? Like this is going to be really hard to do, but can we please, please dump the word nature from our Christian vocabulary? Yeah, no, Don't I'm with even, you on that. That's a secular term. That is that is Straight out of the enlightenment. Creeping, yeah, creeping into our our vocabulary the bible um talks about creation 
That's right. And the, and God's the word power. nature makes it seem like all of this stuff just sort of appeared and maybe evolved. It's natural, you know, I, right? It takes all of the magic, all of the supernatural divine magic out of it that God created stuff. Right. So this is this is a challenge because you're going to be in conversations and people are going to be talking about nature and how beautiful it is. If you start using, you notice this, like if you start talking about creation, it it's going to um, push some buttons, but it's meant to. Um, That's a powerful like the theological statement, is. right, Timothy? Like when you yeah, say creation, yeah. you're saying this place had a beginning and that God created it. You You don't even have to say the word God. You can say creation and people go there. Just like the word nature is a powerful theological statement the other way. Yeah, and if it's, we if natural. we buy into that exactly, so there you go. <laughs> Sorry about that, everyone. I just this yeah. is, I'm, I'm whining a little bit, and that that brings that brings me to my next point, and I'm I'm pretty much done with my analytical stuff after this, Timothy. And uh, I'm sorry for standing above, to our listeners. Please forgive me for standing above the text for so long. I shouldn't have done this. But I, hopefully it's been helpful. And that brings us to the last thing. Just the overall structure of these verses. We could look at this in a couple different ways. Verses 1 through 38 really demonstrate God's wisdom in the cosmos, um, in, in the entire creation. Then verses uh, in chapter 38, uh, verse 39 through 39, verse 30 you got god's uh, care for animals and then we get um, a new uh, i'm going to call it later a redemptive oracle uh, or a redemptive speech and then we're going to see god's um, dealings with behemoth uh, or the beast and then and then also leviathan uh, but another way to look at it is like this here's the movement of the chapter Here's the broad movement of the chapter. What happens is Job is taken first to the earth's foundation. So just try to picture this in your mind with me. Then the seas and the skies and the light and the land. Um, by the way, this would be an interesting study. I haven't done the work on this, but somebody could do the work on this. Do a comparison, uh, between, see what you can learn comparing and contrasting uh, Job 38. And, and 39 to Genesis 1 and 2. But you kind of see this progression. And then after he shows him what I would call the elements, the Lord begins to show them how he manages the elements. And we could we, he shows him the ecology of his creation. He shows him the meteorology of his creation. Uh, you got the rain and the snow and the storms. And only once he's done that, he's shown him the, the systems of the world, the ecology and the meteorology. Then he begins to show how that management of his creation creates a place for animals to thrive. Um, does that make sense? That's kind of how the chapters kind of build um, on themselves. Yeah, and you can you can look at it another way too. Is it you know I listened to it again this morning just just to get my heart into it, and and what you have here is just a, a massive series of questions, and as I was listening to it, I actually found myself answering the questions, you know. And now we're moving under the text. I found myself answering the questions. Um, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Mm. I didn't exist. You know. Yeah, it wasn't who, there. Who, who marked off the dimensions? You did, Lord. Um, 
Who shut up the seas behind the doors? Lord God, you did it. Have you ever given orders to the morning? Never. Never in my life. Um, and I, I found myself doing that. And at the beginning of the chapter, it's really rapid fire. Like, there's all these questions you're answering. God, it's you. Nope, I don't have the power. No, Lord, I haven't done that. Um, but as it goes on, you get these longer and longer descriptions of animals. And, and the questions are still coming, but not as, not as quickly. And we keep naming God and we keep saying, no, no, I'm not God. And it kind of goes on like that. So it's kind of another way of looking looking at the chapter. And you just, I love what you did, you know, in just getting us under the text. And that's where I, I really want to go is just move into that. Uh, when you're suffering, I, one of the big points here is God, we need to let God pepper us with these questions because these questions serve a great purpose. You know what, you know what I think they do, Timothy, is they prison break you from yourself. When you're in great pain, when you're in great suffering, the worst thing that we can do for ourselves is turn in our, on ourselves. Um, get real egocentric navel-gazing with ourselves and get stuck inside of ourselves in a world as small as ourselves. God, what are you doing in my life? God, what is happening here? And we can only look at ourselves. And God breaks us open with these questions um, to from an anthropocentric view of what's going on to a theocentric view of what's going on. And, and this is very, very healing for us. Uh, I, I, how many statistics have you read? I've read so many of how healing it is for people to go walk outside in a green place. Just go out in the creation. That's all you got to do. Just go walk in a park. You'll be happier. <laughs> this is not, we're not doing therapy right now. But this is part of what's happening here. You know, go look at a deer in your backyard. Go look at the flowers. Uh, go walk in a park. Go take a run outside. Go jump in a pool. Uh, Melanie always laughs at me. <laughs> she, she always laughs at me and my wife, Melanie. But one of my favorite things, and I've, now I've got my daughter into it, it, it drives uh, my wife nuts. But uh, when there's a storm coming, we love to go outside. <laughs> and and uh, we love just to feel the power of the wind and see the, the, the lines of rain come, come. We live up on top of a ridge, and so we can see the rain coming. We love to watch the rain coming. And some of you, you're going to get this while you're on summer vacation maybe, and you're at the beach, you're, you're in the mountains, um, and now I'm talking like a South Carolinian because we got both in our state. And <laughs> you do too, don't you? And, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And, it, and so why is it? Why do we love the mountains? What is it about the mountains that the, the expansiveness speaks to the expansiveness of God? The, the ocean with its horizon that never ends speaks to the unlimited nature of God? What is it about encountering um, the creation that teaches us about a creator that gets us small under him and frees us from the prison of ourself? I'm just, ourselves, I'm just asking that question right now. Yeah, it's, and we could just go to, to 
you know, one part of God's creation. Like, go, go sit on a beach. Stick your toes in the sand. And, and st- stare out at the expanse of the ocean. You know, close your eyes and, and smell the, the sea salts. And listen to the wind blowing. And then open your eyes and, and see the expanse of the ocean in front of you. And, and, and ask yourself, you know, who made this? Who, who is this God? And consider how much he loves you in Jesus. And, and your heart will be lifted up. That's what, that's what God is, part of what God is doing. Now, he, God does get sarcastic in here. And um, it's, uh, you know, sarcasm is a way of putting Job in his place, but he's also wanting to, to, to lift Job up with these creational truths. Uh, Timothy, I want to I wanna transition us into to, uh, Job chapter 39. <laughs> and here's the, what we're going to do is we're going to look at deeply these animal, we could call them animal portraits. They're, that's what we got here. And it's a stunning thing, these, these portraits of animals. And uh, what I'd like to do is uh, just read a few of these animal portraits. I'm not going to read every single one, but just read these animal portraits and and uh listeners just go just experience these animal portraits um i'm going to start in uh in verse 5 of chapter 39 like i said i'm not going to read all the animal portraits but i do want to read some key ones and then really get into what uh, the lord is doing here here's some of his questions who let the wild donkey go free who untied its ropes I gave it the wasteland as its home, the salt flats as its habitat. It laughs at the commotion in the town. It does not hear a driver's shout. It ranges the hills for its pasture and searches for any green thing. Uh, I'm going to skip one at one of the animal portraits. I'm going to do the ostrich. because I, oh, I love this, the ostrich. This, the ostrich is awesome. <laughs> The wings yeah, the is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it is hilarious. The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully. By the by, the way, Timothy, that's sarcastic. <laughs> you know, like when you, <laughs> I know you I'm can so, see these little wings, like <laughs> <laughs> and they don't. The ostrich doesn't fly, right? It's a really pathetic bird in a sense because it can't. We're gonna have to talk about how awkward this is. Like, Lord, why would you point to an ostrich? Because it's got a funny-looking head, and its wings are pretty useless. And even a penguin, like a penguin, at least can fly underwater. Like its wings are good for something. But <laughs> even a penguin, <laughs> what a ostrich! This is just listen to this. So we'll talk. This is just the Lord's doing something here with these portraits. And we're gonna have to look at it. The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully though they cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork. So the Lord, I love how the Lord is like poking fun at his own bird. <laughs> it's no stork, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it shows like, like you, you ask like, Lord, why did you make, you know, why did you create the ostrich like that? We're getting at wisdom here, right? That, that's right, yeah. And then, and then the Lord continues to uh, poke fun at the bird, but... She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some, that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly as if they were not hers. 
She cares not that her labor was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. Uh, one, more, one more animal portrait, and then we're going to break this down. The, the, the horse, the horse. Do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust, striking terror with its proud snorting? It paws fiercely, rejoicing in its strength, and charges into the fray. It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. It does not shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against its side, along with a flashing spear and lance. In frenzied excitement, it eats up the ground. It cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. At the blast of the trumpet, it snorts, Aha! It catches the scent of battle from afar, the shout of commanders, and the battle cry. What do you make of that, Timothy? <laughs> Woo! Yeah, I mean, like, it, it, the ostrich one really makes me think, like I was listening, like I said this morning, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> it, it, you, you could look at the ostrich and be, you know, as some sort of, uh, I don't know what what do they call the bird people? Um, anyway, you, you could be like, oh, this creature evolved, and at some point didn't need its its wings anymore. Or you you could kind of poke fun at it, and be like, look at look at the Lord. He he doesn't. He's not very good at at um, making ostriches. Look at how dumb they are. Look at how useless those wings are but the ostrich is awesome like the lord says even it it's able to laugh like in all sincerity at at a horse like try to catch me try to knock me down um i don't need these wings i i can run like the wind yeah you know i'll tell you what if you want to just go on youtube seriously go on youtube and google like ostrich running and you will you will be blown away by the ostrich you will just like there's there's a there's one youtube video i saw where an ostrich was running along with bikers it was and bikers go fast i mean the ostrich just whooping the bikers (laughs) i think it was like in australia or something there was another one too this is just hilarious how people are but they had a they had an ostrich like race like a super fast uh, football player, and the ostrich just whooped the sprinter just like whooped him, and then it went into like the mechanics of the ostrich like why it is so powerful and fast. Uh, I mean, I, I forget the stats, but ostriches can. I mean, these they can cruise like forty miles an hour. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> it's even a funny name, like the word. <laughs> now we're degenerating, but the word ostrich, like. It, but look at what look at what the Lord has done, creation. though. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I want to point something out. I I, I, I think this is important. Did, did you notice we were just laughing? And if you in every single animal portrait that I read. And I want to I want to build into this. There's laughing. <laughs> mm. The uh, the so if you go to verse seven, what's the wild donkey doing? It's laughing. Uh, what's the ostrich doing? 
It's laughing. What's the horse doing? It's laughing. Everything's laughing. Why is everything laughing? <laughs> why, why are we all laughing? Be- now, there's a couple things going on here, I think. Number one. So, th- there's, I think there's an obvious thing. What has God built into his creation? What does he want for his creation? Uh, does he want his creation to be robotic? Does he want his creation just to simply exist? I don't think so. I think clearly God has built into his creation a desire for abundant life. Uh, God purposes ultimate life for his creation. He doesn't want his creation to groan. He doesn't want his creation to hurt. He wants his his creation to have joy and delight. Um, and he wants us to laugh. I think he I think he likes it when we laugh about about life with joy and um i was listening to a song this morning on my on my way here timothy and and it was a song about how uh, abraham laughed uh because of the joy that that the lord brought into his life with isaac i you know and just think about that the lord wants us to laugh he's got his animals laughing here and i i i think that's pretty <laughs> i think we we need to not miss that like the creational joy that god has has planned for us. Um, I think that's part of what's going on. I think there's a deeper there's a deeper teaching here though too. If you notice, the wild donkey is in the wastelands. That's where he is. You notice that that the the ostrich is uh, in the desert. Uh, furthermore, you notice that the horse. Here, where's the horse? The horse is in a war, and so they are all in these places. Look at where the Lord places them. He's placed all of these creatures into these places where the last thing you'd expect is that you can thrive. And part of what's happening here is is the Lord is saying, you can thrive in the last place you might expect, which is, for a human, suffering. In the wastelands of your life. You know, in the desert, in the salt flats of your life, in the war of your life, uh, thriving is is what God really is after. And if you think, okay, okay, you know, Jonathan, you're you're going way too far. I would say, no, I'm not. Uh, the Apostle Paul draws the same conclusion from the Scriptures. This is what he says. He says, "We boast." This is Romans chapter five. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now listen to this. He says, not only so, he says, we're not even going to boast. Uh, we're not even just going to stop boasting that, you know, ultimately we're going to be in a new creation in the glory of God. He says, not only so, we're going to rejoice now. He says, we can rejoice in the salt flats of our lives. He says, we can glory in our suffering. That's what he says. You know, there's a song I've been listening to a lot lately. It, it's, it's a song called Another in the Fire. And it kind of it kind of makes you think about when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into the fire, and there there they are, you know, they're they're suffering, and there's an, another in the fire, and, and and we can think of Jesus, like it when we when we need the Lord the most, when we've come to the end of ourselves, when we don't have the strength. We can know this, that God has come near to us. He came near to Job. Job, that's what Job wanted the most. He wanted, he wanted the Lord to come near to him. What, is, what does the Lord do? He comes near to him. Yes, in a storm. But why? 
to lift Job out of his misery, to bring Job to a new plane. That's right. The, the purposes, and this is where now we're getting somewhere, Timothy, like the purposes of suffering. Uh, there is purpose in suffering. It's not this meaningless thing. The Lord is pushing us to a new level. He's wanting us to thrive spiritually even more. And that's, that's the messaging that's going here. Job, I, I'm with you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I want to make you laugh. I want to I give you more creational joy uh, in your life. And how many, we just, we just have to just stop and, and apply this. You know, when, when, when let's say I, somebody's out there, their marriage has fallen apart. Um, what's he doing when, when you lose your job? What's, what's he doing when your health is terrible, when you're grieving somebody who's died? What's, what's he doing? Um, ultimately, what he's doing is he, he's, he, he, he's with you in the fire. He's, he's next to you in the fire. He purposes to get closer to you in the fire, to improve your faith, to make you stronger uh, in what he's up to um, in your life. See, Job thought that God was judging him in the suffering. Uh, you know, Lord, what did I do wrong, right? What's going on? I didn't do anything. And what, what Job did understand is God wasn't judging him. He was giving him grace. He was helping him. He was, he was improving him. He, was, he, was, he had these great purposes um, for Job uh, in his life. And I don't know. There's one last move I want to make. But before I move on to that move, I, <laughs> Timothy, I'm going to stop and see if you, you wanted to build on that anymore. This is the last move I want to make, and these are the last verses before, before uh, Job, the Lord, takes a break. So we're going to take a break after these verses, too, and break the episode off. But here's the last thing that the Lord uh, says here. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom? Now, I'm hoping that word wisdom is, is going off in your head like blinking with blinking red lights. Uh, because that's the big idea here is the Lord wants to give Job wisdom in his suffering. And so, so this is going to be a profound thought, I would argue, that the Lord wants to leave Job with. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? It dwells on a cliff and stays there at night. A rocky crag is its stronghold. From there it looks for food. Its eyes detect it from afar. Its, its young ones feast on blood, and where the slain are, there it is. Let me, let me unpack that for a second. What we got going on, remember what we got going on below is a battle scene. And this is very gory, right? Suffering is always very gory. It's very bloody. It's very ugly. And this, this is very similar. It's very ugly. And so we've got this battle scene going on below, but you've got an eagle. And what the eagle does is he takes, he actually takes the, see, verse 30 says, it's young ones feast on blood and where the slain are, there it is. And so the, the, the blood and the gore below is being transformed above into a new life source for these eaglets. And these eaglets are above there and they are safe and they are sound and they are looking down below at all the suffering below them. That's the image here that the Lord develops. Um, you know, Timothy, I don't, I don't know if I can push this hard on it, but 
Um, let's just talk about eagles for a second. <laughs> eagles are a big deal in this country, right? And that's that's what we got here. Uh, Benjamin Franklin Franklin quite um, famously argued that eagles should not be our national a national symbol. Uh, he said that they were an immoral bird <laughs> uh, because of the <laughs> that's what he said. And I guess you can understand his argument there. The, these eagles are, you know, taking blood and gore and um, feeding their eaglets with it. On the other hand, the Lord has, is not shy of using this symbol of an eagle in the Bible. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40 has got an eagle, yeah, you know, uh, as, as a metaphor. Um, there's, a, there's a pretty famous Christian hymn called On Eagle's Wing that, that really develops that, Eagle's Wings. And um, one of the big, one of the big uh, metaphors that the Lord develops in the Exodus is he says uh, to his people, I carried you on eagle's wings. So he's, he's picking up his people out of Egypt. By the way, they're suffering down there in Egypt. And the idea is God carried them up, up, up and away out from, uh, from, that, from that suffering. And the image here, the image here is of the Lord's ability to turn suffering uh, great suffering in your life and turn it into um, new life for you. And uh, uh, I can't but help but think about Jesus and his cross. The greatest suffering on earth that ever happened in history, Jesus' cross, uh, he planted it in, into the ground and he suffered all of hell deprivation of God's presence for us and on the other side of all that it was bloody and it was gory and it was a battle and the Lord used that to bring new life new resurrection life on the other side uh, and that's why we can know that the Lord is doing the same for us we are we are you know baptized into Jesus and in his name his story is our story and since the Lord brought suffering, brought resurrection life through suffering, he can do the same for us. He is doing the same for us. There's no can about it. He's doing it right now in our lives. This is the hope that we have. You know what I call this, Timothy? Then I'm done. <laughs> and you can wrap us up. I call this having an eagle's eye view of life. Thanks for listening to The Notable Podcast. Check out our other seasons to hear other people sharing their notes and highlights. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us or hear more, visit NotablePodcast.com. That's N-O-T-A-B-L-E podcast.com. Thanks for listening.